Uh, so we're going to be in the book of Romans, as you can see. We are continuing our series, A Righteousness Revealed. We're going to be in Romans chapter 2. Uh, so if you can, turn over to Romans chapter 2. And uh, this is going to be an awesome connection to what we've learned already. I uh, just want to let you know, uh, we'll be continuing our um, just our discourse. It's really what's happening is Paul is making a case to the church that is in Rome. He's never actually been to Rome. At this point when he's writing this letter, he's never actually set foot in Rome and been in this church, but he's heard great things. But he's also feeling something when he writes this letter. He's like, I know you need some direction. I know you need some guidance because there's some things that you're contending with. And he's also been contending with them. As you know, we've been going through the book of Galatians as well. And you can see, you're going to hear some of the same things that are going to pop up. Um, by the way, we didn't plan it this way, I don't think. But... Um, this is just going to be the month of circumcision. Just deal with it, okay? So we're going to hear that a lot. So if that, if that bothers you, I'm so sorry, but this is what Paul wrote, not what I wrote. Um, but it's a part of the Bible, and we need to go over it. But I just want to let you know that Paul felt it very important to know, uh, let these particular J Jewish people that had given their heart to Christ and had become Christian, that were still holding on to their Jewish uh, traditions, the how to instruct them in the ways of being a proper Christian moving forward, not to disassociate themselves with the Old Testament, but to continue on in a new tradition that Christ had built in them. And I just want to remind you, um, as we move forward, there's this one verse that, or two verses that come out of chapter one that are kind of like the crystallized essence of the whole book uh, of Romans. And I want you to see it. It's up on the screen. It's Romans chapter one, verses 16 through 17. And it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. So the qualification that you're seeing right there is not their background, not their culture, not anything about them that you might be able to judge or decipher. It's everyone who what? Believes. believes. That's it. Believes what? First to the Jew and then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last just as it is written, the righteous will live by circumcision. Does it say that there? No, it says by faith. And that is the very foundation of this Bible. That's the very foundation of this book. And this is Paul's case. It doesn't really matter what you think that the God should do. It doesn't matter what you think the church should do. It matters what God says that we should do. And the case in point that he's done from the beginning is it started with creation and moved forward from creation, we see that we have a creator. And because that creator created us, he is in the unique position of creating everything that goes around us as well. So if we do claim him as God creator and designer of our life, then we should be able to submit to him in this way and say, because you are God and I am not, I will follow you. Because you are the designer and you are the creator, what you say goes, not what I think or feel or what impulse I have goes. It doesn't matter. I will bring those feelings. I will bring those impulses. I will bring my sin and everything and lay it at your feet. And then I will listen. I will listen as you speak. And that's what it is. The just, there was says right here, the righteous will live by faith. Faith what? That we hear from the Lord and what he says is good. And so that is the case. Now from that good, this is what the Lord's going to do. Once that good gets a hold of you, and this is how you know the Lord is good. This is part of the reason you're going to see the second slide here, 2 Corinthians 5.20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's 
behalf first be a Jew? No? Put up your menorah. No. Kosher? No. What? Be reconciled to God. This is God's case to the world. You want to know how good I am? Look around this church. This is what he would say to the world right now. Sebastian, you want to know how good I am? Look around the room. Look at the lives of all the broken sinners in the room and see how I put them back together with my love. And because I've done this so expertly and I've done this so wonderfully and even gently, not with condemnation, when you look in this room, you're going to see a collection of people, different backgrounds, different problems, same Jesus Christ, all here to be celebrated by one thing. God is good. And that's what we have faith in. We don't have a faith in that God is a punishing God. We don't have faith that God is a, a God that stands over us with a lightning bolt. We have faith in a God that is good. And so when people look and go, well, my goodness, if God can put Joey back together, then I surely he can do something with me. If God can take Joey and wash him in the blood and make him as fresh and new and white as snow in his heart, because I know where Joey started, then my goodness, what could he do with me? And that is the appeal. And that is how we are to live. We are to be the ambassadors of God's goodness but we have to actually believe it. We cannot tell God what his goodness is. We have to receive his goodness. And you're going to see that. So that is the case that Paul is making through here. Paul has been making all the way through chapter one, all the way through is that everybody's appointed to God's wrath, including you and me. Even if we say that we are believers, we are appointed to God's wrath. What prevents us from that wrath is what? Jesus Christ. But every party has a pooper. Do you guys know that? And in this particular case, the pooper is Paul. And uh, he's going to walk us through a lot of things that is going to put us in a particular position. I will let you know, this is one of the most challenging books I have read as a, as a Bible-believing Christian. Every time I read the book of Romans, I'm challenged for my faith. I'm challenged to know what I believe. But I will let you know, as I see my sinful condition, and as I confess it, I can then see how good God is for how much he has set me free of my own mess. And until you receive that forgiveness, you will never move forward in your life with Christ knowing how good he is. It's kind of like this. I, um, I was going through our, our mail. We have a little basket in the front of our house. And I pulled out all the mail. I'm like, look at all these, all these advertisements and junk mail. I'm going through it. And then I hit the back and there was this little package and it was a Christmas gift. And I was like, oh my goodness, this has been sitting here behind all the other junk. So of course I threw all the junk away and I was like, what is this? And I opened it up and it was a wonderful little book. It was a devotional meant just for me from one of my family members and it's been fantastic. But it would never be fantastic until I opened it. And there's a lot of Christians who come to church, love Jesus Christ, love the idea of Jesus Christ, love reading about Jesus Christ, but never actually receive the forgiveness that he has given them. And they walk around with a burden in their heart that they're never good enough or they're not operating under grace. And you can always see these Christians because they're always like this. They're never up and open and free and saying, I have been forgiven. And so we'll just to give you a recap so far. Chapter one, God dealt with the godless. But what's so awesome is when Paul wrote this, he never wrote chapter one, did he? He didn't write chapter two. He wrote a letter. And so everybody in Rome was reading this and they're like, chapter one. Yeah, he's talking about all these dirty Romans. Yeah, and yeah, they are the worst. And yeah, they are gonna go to hell. Man, we're so much better than them. And then they got to chapter two and they're like, wait a minute. Wait a minute, you're gonna talk about sinners in church? 
That's the place that we're in. So God is saying right now, first I've dealt with the, with the godless, but he's going to give us a second word. It's not in the Bible, but I'm going to deal with the religionist. I'm going to deal with the religionist. The people that come in here and go, you know what? I am full and excited of excessive religious zeal. I am so excited for Jesus. I love the t-shirts. I love the bumper stickers, but don't look at my browser search history at home. Don't listen to my phone calls to other people here at the church. Don't look inside my heart and see what's really going on. And that's what the Lord is saying. The Lord is saying in chapter 2, um, you know what? I will not be deceived. I will not be mocked. That's what's in Galatians. Isn't it interesting? Romans and Galatians at the same time. In Galatians, he's, Jesus is very much on point. Don't you understand? I don't care about the shell. I care about the heart. And so we're going to be moving into a place where we're going to leave man-made tradition and find out what Jesus is really all about. Before we go there, I want to give you one small story. Uh, I was looking at an article about a year ago um, about diplomatic immunity and the crazy stories that come along with it. Like there's a story where there's this guy in Mexico, I guess, he was a uh, son of a foreign diplomat, and he was stealing cell phones. And the police couldn't do anything because every time they apprehended him, he had, and I'm talking like he had a jacket full of cell phones that he had lifted from everybody in the neighborhood. He said, I'm sorry, diplomatic immunity. And they're like, oh, got to let him go. And then where do they find him two days later? Going right back to the stores and picking up all the things. It's like, you know, you can say I have diplomatic, diplomatic immunity, but that doesn't make you good. You can get maybe off scot-free, or maybe people have to take their hands off you, or maybe people have the, the position to judge you in the way that we would think in a court of law because you have that diplomatic immunity, but does that even make you right? In one particular case, there was a gentleman uh, who was the son of a diplomat in New York City, and he was doing some free will, driving all over and wasn't paying attention and mowed down a, a little old lady on her way to her car. And the police grabbed him, and they could not put him in jail. And then where was he a week later after he'd been released? driving all over the street, mowing people down again. You see, diplomatic immunity doesn't make you good. Let me give you the case in point. Religion does not make you good. Confronting the Jesus Christ that died for your heart makes you good. And we're going to see that. If you can, join me in chapter 17. We're going to march all the way to the end, and then we will unpack it. I'm sorry, sorry, verse 17. Chapter 2, verse 17. You guys are like, "Woo! where is he taking us? Get ready, guys. Now, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and boast in God, if you know his will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you're convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor for the foolish, a teacher for the little children because you have the law or have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? Boom. First chapter, we've been talking about the godless. You're out here. You're morally superior. I'm better than everybody in chapter one. But who, who's teaching you? Are you preaching to yourself when you are what? Look at the next part. You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that you do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Circumcision has value if you observe the law, but if you break the law, you become as though you have not been circumcised. I like some translations say uncircumcised. So then those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements. Will they not be regarded as though they were circumcised? 
The one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law will condemn you, who even though you have the written code in circumcision, are a lawbreaker. As a person who is not a Jew, who is one who is outwardly, nor circumcision merely outward and physical, no, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is circumcision of the heart, but the spirit not by the written code. Such a, per- such a person's praise is not from other people, and this is my favorite part of this chapter, but from God. So you can see what he's talking about is these Jewish people that are locked up in the law, but he's really talking to people that are Christian that are stuck and steeped in man-made tradition, right? And so what he's basically saying is you little poor people, you don't realize what, how you're living. The moment that you stand in a position of moral superiority as anybody, and we could say, well, these are the Jewish people, but how many times have Christian stood anywhere in the marketplace, on TV, in the church, in the community, and said, I'm so much better than that other person? I, me, 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 this holy and mighty Christian is so much better than all of these sinners. And then you would have missed the entire point of the whole Bible. And that's what we're doing. We're, we're moving away from resting in our own abilities because the moment that you can say, I am morally superior to anybody else, what you're saying is, I am better in my own power. And who's going to get to heaven by their own power? Not a single, single person. And so what he's, what he's saying is that this is detestable to the Lord. And in fact, what he's saying is you are now standing in a position before the world and saying, I am going to be a Christian, but I'm not going to practice what I preach. If you can look in this first section of 17 to 24, where he's talking about, did you preach against stealing, but you stole? Did you know Tiberius had a huge problem? This is Caesar Tiberius, had a huge problem with Jews in Rome because they were constantly like really drilling down on the law and even trying to write new laws so they could steal more money from people when they lend money, right? And this is why you can see there's kind of like through history, like a, a negative annotation with the name Jew is because they were always trying to bite people through the law instead of showing some kind of compassion. But you're standing there going, our God is a compassionate God, but we're not. My God is full of grace and mercy. If you just come and become a Jew and just bow at his feet, you would learn how great of a God he is, but you won't know it by me. I am a Christian, but you'll never know how great Christ is because even though I say that I'm Christ-like, I never express it. I never show you the forgiveness that Jesus showed me on the cross. And so therefore, what is your take on Christianity? That's what he's saying right here. You gotta become something more than what the people think. He's actually saying, do you not look at that part where he says, your name is blasphemed among the Gentiles in verse 24 because of you? Has Jesus ever lost a really good battle of PR in the world? No. Even Gandhi said, you know, your Christ is someone amazing. It's your Christians I can't get behind. How many times has the name of Jesus Christ been lost on people because of the actions of the people who claim that they are the people of Jesus? And that's what he's saying right here. You become a joke. At the same time, there was where it says, do you not abhor idols or do you rob temples? The Jews at the time of Tiberius were known for this. They would go around and get people to raise money up for the temple back in Jerusalem. Help us. And in one particular case, there was these four Jews that got into this lady who her, her husband just recently died and she had a ton of money and they got her to write a huge check for the, um, for the temple to be raised back up in Jerusalem. And they took that money and they just ran. And they went to another part of the, of the world and they just absconded with their money and she was left. And Tiberius goes, and this is the people of God. And at that point he goes, take all the Jews and get them out of my city. What should have been the story when the people of God showed up to a widow's house? 
What should have been the story when the people of Jesus Christ, the Jesus Christ that you say that you represent, what should have been the story when they show up? And this is why um, the Lord would say in Isaiah, just you guys know when the book of Isaiah was written, the book of Isaiah was written to a very alive and thriving Israel. If you went to church in Israel's time, at the time of Isaiah chapter 1, it was beautiful. They had awesome services. They had great ceremonies, right? They had wonderful sacrifices. They had a great priest checked out, and it was beautiful, and the music was awesome, and, and the Jewish Rachel was just kicking it off every service, and everybody was just like, yes, 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 yes. And then what happened? As soon as the service was over, the Lord would say this through, uh, through Isaiah. You can see it on the screen, chapter 1, verse 11. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of your burnt offerings. Of rams and the fat of fattened animals, I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and the lands of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you? This trampling of my court. I can give you a little, little, little translation here. I can't believe you came here and made a mess of my church. Stop bringing me meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. Your new moons, your Sabbaths, and convocations, I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Can you imagine if God showed up and said that today? Right after worship, you were like this, and you were just singing out loud. This is your song. This is your favorite song. You know it from Z88.3. You've been singing it all week, and now it's here, and you're ready, and you're giving it, and the Lord's like, stop. It's meaningless. This is a meaningless assemble. I would, man, that would just wreck me. Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals, I hate with all my being. We just had movies and munchies out here. Can you imagine what it was like? I hate this movies and munchies. Oh my gosh. They have become a burden to me. I'm wary of bearing them. I want to let you know where their connection is between this and Rome, Romans that we just read. There's a lot of people that were in this particular time. This is why Jesus flipped tables, that were ripping off their own people, right? And we know about the temple, right? They were upcharging people. They were overcharging people. They were trying to make money off of God's ministry. And the Lord said, this is a house of worship. This isn't a den of thieves, right? And the Lord is like, how dare you do that? So on the one hand, you're coming out and saying, holy, holy, holy. But on the underneath, what are you doing? At the same time, a lot of these Jewish people that would go around and talk trash about the Romans and say, look how they live. They were the same. They are just a dirty, detestable people. Look how they live the, the sexual, impure life. A lot of the same people had affairs. If you go back into that one section where he says here, he said, well, you, you, you say that people should not commit adultery. Do you commit adultery? Paul isn't just saying these words. He knows that they're committing adultery. But they would say, we're, we're committing adultery, not out in public. We don't do it like the Romans. We don't have sex in the street. And so Paul's like, that's great. You're still doing it. And the Lord still knows, does he? Will God be mocked? No, absolutely not. And so the Lord is saying, when you come in here and pretend to be something that you're not, that's a mockery to God. Because me, I might look at you and go, wow, they really love this song. Then God would look and go, but I know what you live like this week. This show, who's it for? Is it for man or is it for me? Because it's for me, it's a mockery to my face. And so that's what the Lord is saying. Are you going to take the law and throw it in my face? Because it becomes a joke to me. And I just want to ask you this question. Can you follow Christianity but not follow Christ? Can you follow the law and have no love for God? Really, the answer is yes. Look at this. How many people looked at Saul and said, now there's a good-looking king. He's Jewish, and he's circumcised. That's good enough for us. And he's taller than everybody, and he's got a great head of hair. That makes a great Jewish king. And the Lord was like, that's not my man. 
If I look down all the way to his heart, that's not my man. I look at the inward. You guys look at the outward. And I'm not really worried about that outer shell. What I want you to do is I want you to look all the way down inside your heart and see a need for me. Because just like I said, when I opened up with the book of Romans on our last teaching, when I walk into the doctor's office and he says, you have dangerously high blood pressure. Does it matter if I look at him and go, no, I don't. I'm the picture of modern health. Write that down on your little clipboard. Put in there, Joey is excellent, and they should probably make posters of him and hang him up here in the doctor's office. Be more like Joey. Does that change anything? Does it change the tests? Does it change the blood work? Does it change anything that the doctor's looking at? The doctor's like, look, if you want to die, keep doing what you're doing. But if you want to live, you want to listen to me. And that is what the Lord is saying. I am concerned not with your comfort. I'm not concerned with your image. I'm concerned with your soul and I'm concerned with your internal life. And we have to say, you know what? It is really easy for me to sit here and go, you know what, Lord, you're wrong. It's real easy to say that. No, I'm good. I'm fine. I'm okay. Look at me. I've got a Bible. I take notes. I do all the right things. I vote the right way. I talk the right way. I go to the right parties and I don't go to the wrong ones. I'm good. And the Lord would say, but there's a sickness inside of you. And I need you to listen. I want to let you know something. It's really easy sometimes for people to look and go, well, it's easy for you to say because you're a pastor. You know, preaching is the easiest part of my job. It's living this out the rest of the week so that I don't make a fool of myself is the hard part. Because Romans chapter one and two and three is just as important to my salvation as it is to yours. I'm no better or worse at this than you. I have to do this. I can't just know the word. I have to obey it. I have to bring whatever I can to the Lord in the ways of obedience. And that's what the Lord is saying. I know you guys know this stuff, but are you living it? Do you love it? Do you know me? Do you know my word? Which brings us to John chapter 6 on the screen where it says here, then they asked him, what must we do to do the works that God requires? Because now we're going to address it. You're like, but Joey, I do good things. I go to Day of Compassion. I paint the building when you ask me to. I put the cans in there. I pray for people at, prayer, at the prayer culture, everything, everything. But I'm doing good things. Is that bad? But look what he says. What should we do to do the works of God requires? And then Jesus answered, the work of God is this. You want to know what the work of the Lord is? To believe in the one he has sent. That's a confrontation for you guys right now. Yeah, but Lord, I woke up today and I'm struggling with some things. I just think I'm an angry person. I'm, and, and maybe I just haul off on people, but that's just who I am. And maybe I'm just not a kind and compassionate person. But did Jesus ask you to be kind and compassionate? Did he say anything about it being easy? Did he say anything about it being right? Absolutely did. He said, be kind and compassionate as I am kind and compassionate. And what about forgiveness? I'm struggling with forgiving that person. What does the Bible say about forgiveness? says, if you don't forgive, I'm not going to forgive you. Is God serious about it? Does he care about your comfort or does he care about your holiness? This is medicine from the Lord. And this is what he's saying. If you believe that Jesus is real and you believe that Jesus left heaven for a reason and he is good, then you realize this. He is good because you are not. He had to leave heaven to die on a cross to pay for your sins, which means there's an automatic confrontation the moment you open up this word and you say to the Lord, you know what? I don't know what my life is without you. But if you are truly who you say you are, and if I am truly who you say I am, 
then I absolutely need you. So my old way no longer exists. It's now your way, which is exactly what I said at the doctors. I said, what do you need me to do? And they're like, you need to change what you eat. You need to go for walks every day. You need to lose weight. You need to take salt out of your diet. Why? Because it's killing you. The Lord is standing in front of you right now and saying, these things are spiritually strangling you. And you need to listen to me. And that's why he came to express his purpose by shedding his precious blood on the cross to forgive your sins. And then here comes the diplomatic immunity killer. Well, I'm a Christian. I'm holy. I was born in America. I've heard that one. I've actually heard that one. I'm a Christian American, baby. I'm at the front of the line. And I was like, good Lord. Have you read Romans 3.20? Look what it says. Therefore, no one except for Americans, will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather than the law, we become conscious of our sin. See, where it says there, and I made the joke for our nationality, but it says, therefore, no one. You know, see, the, Paul was very specific. You know, we read chapter 2, and he's talking to the Jews in the law, and he's like, you know what? You don't understand. The Gentile and the Jew, nobody stands before God without Jesus Christ. No one stands holy without Jesus Christ. No one's going to go up to the Lord and go, have you seen all the great things I've done? Have you seen my tithing list that I give every year? Have you seen that? Can you imagine the looks on the angels' faces if you present any evidence of why you deserve to be in heaven? I always think about, there's no personification of this in the Bible, but they're like, Joey, Everington, please come forth. And I'm like, yes, have you seen how many notes I took in the Bible. I just imagine, this is just from my own personal use, these angels being like, oh gosh, just, <laughs> you know, I'm like, there's just no, it's not going to work. What's going to get you into heaven? Did you know my son? And did you believe in him? And this is where the, there's just like this constant, what I call like a cut on the roof of the mouth of the Christian. I will never be good enough. But thank the Lord that he will. And he has chosen me. And he has now declared me as his, and I am as, as his, he's also mine, I can now humbly say before the Lord, Lord, I do not deserve heaven. I don't deserve your presence, but I boldly proclaim your promise because I called on your son, because I am forgiven, I am now yours. I do belong here in your family, here eternity. That is how it works. Nothing else matters. And so that's what we're moving through. So that's what we're saying. There is no diplomatic immunity. It kind of reminds me of the woman caught in adultery, Right? They remember the story, the woman caught in adultery. They found her committing adultery with a man. They grab her. Of course, they don't grab the man. This is a trap for Jesus Christ. They throw the woman in front of Jesus, and they're like, shouldn't we stone this woman? And then Jesus says, without you know, going through the whole story, he says, anyone here without sin, cast that first stone. Go ahead. You want to kill her? Kill her. In fact, by the law, she should be punished, right? But you... The people with the moral superior section of this, of this world, of this kingdom of Israel, you people that know the law, you people that are circumcised, you without sin stand in judgment of this person. Raise your stone and throw it and kill her if you have no sin. And where did they go? One by one, it says they dropped their stones as they contemplated that and left. And then Jesus said, where are you accusing? They have gone, my Lord. And then as she's leaving, he said, go and sin no more. Did he excuse her sin? There was still accountability, but did he love her with an amount of grace with no condemnation? Absolutely. And who are we to stand over anybody of any particular situation or failure in their life and go, look at them. 
Now look at me. Now look at them. Now look at me. The only thing that is same and different as us is we have the same sin at the same level. The only difference is we might have the forgiveness of Jesus Christ and they do not. And the reason why they may be conducting their life that way is because they don't realize the grace of God has been afforded to them. And therefore, the Lord is saying, take what is good inside of you and don't judge. Take what is good inside of you and now pour out your evangelism. I was broken in sin just like you, but can I introduce you to the man who put it all together, who put me back together? And see, what he's saying in that particular moment is we don't need diplomatic immunity. We need divine immunity. The Lord is saying, I want you to be real. I want you to be authentic. I can't deal with the problem unless we actually face it. I can't minister to your Facebook page. I don't care what you broadcast to the world. I can't minister to that. I can only provide medicine for your heart and deal with the problem straight up. And that's the warning. And you can see there's that warning continued in verse 25. Look what he's saying. Circumcision has value if you observe the law. But if you break the law, verse 25, you have become as though you have not been circumcised. So then if those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirement, will they not be regarded as though they were circumcised? The one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law will condemn you, who even though you have written the code and circumcision are a lawbreaker. This is a super duper challenge to me because this is the particular place I've been in the position where uh, there was a time in South Florida where we had a hurricane come through. And um, I remember just at a, a time we were in our youth group and somebody said, hey, do you guys want to just get in a car and head on down uh, you know, to where the hurricane hit and just bless people with like water, paper towels, just whatever they need, socks even, bags, anything you can think of. This just, the area was devastated. And I was like, no, I'm busy right now. I just got a new video game. I was like 12, 13, 14. And I was like, no. And I remember there was a kid across the street and we were always like, because at the time it was like very taboo. That's the atheist family. And I just remember seeing his name was, uh, his dad's name was Chuck, but his name was Ken. And Ken came out and said, Kenny, what are you doing? It was like, oh, my dad said we had a ton of stuff in the car. We're just going to go load it up and go down there. And I just remember and I was thinking about like, wait, 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 wait. I was like, wait, wait a minute. The atheist is going to do more than me? That's what the scripture is. The atheist is not going to judge. The atheist is not going to be lazy. The atheist, wait, I'm in the position of receiving the deepest grace of the Lord. I was an enemy of God in my sin and Jesus left heaven and could have created war, but caught me as an enemy and captured me in his love and his grace and then saved me. And then I'm not going to be the one to go out there and live the life that Jesus lived. I'm going to let somebody else do better. And as was saying, there's somebody out here who's not circumcised that's living a better life, who's forgiving more than you who's loving more than you, who's giving more grace, and how dare they outgrace you, the person who is the, the, uh, a child of the Prince of Peace? How dare that the God of heaven come and pour and give you hope, and somebody who may not even have hope is doing more in the kingdom of God than you, even if they're not even a Christian. They're doing more for the world, and that's what he's saying right here. You know what? You could walk around wearing a badge of circumcision. And say, you know, that's actually what rabbis have said. Not a man who was born in Middle East that was circumcised will see hell. And Paul is blowing it up right now. There is no diplomatic immunity. There is no Judaism in heaven. There is only Jesus Christ. And that's what he's saying right there. If you are following Christ, it's going to show it. If you're not following Christ, guess what? It's going to show it no matter what t-shirt you have on. And too often, more than that, we say, you know what? I'm going to construct a God 
I'm going to construct a God that I think suits me. Even though I call him the Christian God, even though I say I read him in the Bible, I'm going to construct him. And the Lord will look at you and say, that's idolatry. And the moment that you give yourself over to idolatry, even if you're making up a new image, guess what? I'm going to give you over to immorality. The moment that you tell God what the parameters are of this relationship is the moment that everything just completely disintegrates because now you are in the position of saying to the Lord, I know more than you. My ways are higher than your ways. I'm smarter than you. I'm wiser than you. Lord, if you could just see my five-point plan on how you could fix everything in my life, I'm sure you'd be impressed. I made the PowerPoint myself. But that's what it looks like. You know, sometimes I watch these, these videos um, on YouTube of these, uh, these guys. Have you ever seen these videos called Stolen Honor? where these men dress up in military uniforms that they get from the store, and then they pretend to be in the military, but they have no military background, and immediately somebody calls them out, right? And immediately that person gets embarrassed and shamed, but yet they're standing there and wearing the uniform, right? They're wearing the uniform, and somebody goes, hey, what, what division were you in? They don't know what they say. What rank were you? And they don't even know the ranks, right? But they, all they wanted was the accolades. They wanted people to give them free coffee at Dunkin' Donuts and people to salute them. But it's just some lonely person that just put on the badge. And how many times has a Christian done that? They put on the badge and walked around with stolen honor that they didn't earn. They didn't go through the boot camp of Christianity. They didn't let the Lord strip them down of the world and then rebuild them up to make them into a new image and then stand before the world and go, this is what Christianity looks like. And they go, boo you. You don't look anything like that Jesus Christ. In fact, I will let you know, any job that I've had, the moment that people find out that, I am a, that I'm a Christian, everything gets watched tenfold. What kind of jokes is he saying today? I'll let somebody else who's not a Christian, but I want to watch you. I want to see if what you are is real and authentic. And I'm going to judge you, or I'm going to judge your Jesus by you. And, the, you know, there's a scholar who said there are five Gospels, four in the Bible, and the fifth one. Now, the four, most people won't read, but the fifth one they will, and that fifth one is you. What does the Gospel of Jesus Christ look, look like lived in you? That's why we look at James chapter 2, 26. And this is how you know that it can't be a badge of honor that you wear. It has to be something that you live. James chapter 2, 26 on the screen says, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also is faith apart from works is dead. Isn't that amazing? What he's really saying in here is, who is a Christian apart from the Holy Spirit? You're just a guy. You're a gong. You're just a loud, you're just a random person pretending to be. You're stolen honor. You're wearing a badge that you didn't earn. I put on the question there, so can baptism itself save you? No. I went on a mission trip to Jamaica, and one of the hardest part of the mission trip to Jamaica was talking to people who believed they were saved. And I said, so I'm standing here. Mind you, I'm standing here with a, a bunch of ladies, and this gentleman's coming up, and he's flirting with all these ladies. And he's saying some very rude things. And I say, uh, sir, let me see if I can nip this in the bud real quick and protect these. I go, sir, do you know your Lord Jesus Christ? Thinking that'll be a real mood killer for him. And he would turn to me and he would say, oh yeah, I've been baptized. And I go, so you think because you went in the water that something spiritual happened, you're going to heaven? He goes, absolutely. I've been baptized. I'm going to heaven. I go, even though you're out here representing Christ the way that you are by talking to his God, God's daughters like this, doesn't matter. I've been baptized. You just have to ask yourself this. Here in the church, can communion save you? Can tithing save you? No. Can even saving somebody else save you? No. 
There's no regulation. There's no religion. There's no mechanism inside of Christianity that can save you. There's nothing supernatural down in the water. The spirit might go down with you and be in you, but the water itself is not magical. Communion itself, I hate to break it to you, is not magical. He blows that up all the way through the book of Revelation. I want to let you know there is nothing magical that happens other than operating in the spirit. And you can only operate in the spirit by saying, Lord, not my way, but your way. And so he's saying there is no outward obedience that is a badge. And how do we know this? Because none of it can save you. And you know with a confidence that when you stand before the Lord, you can't say how many times you've dunked in the river. You can't say it. It's not going to work. Look at the flow from Ephesians chapter 2.10. It says this, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So we've already established, do good works save you? No. But do good works flow from a heart that has been saved? Yes. Because you've received a new life in Christ, you are now living for a new, new choices, right? I'm free to make these new choices. I'm free to be what the Spirit has asked me to be. Before, when I was locked up in my sinful self, guess what? I was not free to do those things. And so you know what? How you know a person, or even you can check yourself, if what I'm about to do is to impress man or it's to impress God. And you could be one of those men. Like if I'm only trying to impress myself, or if I'm about to press God. Because sometimes impressing God means you're going to lose out on man. And that's going to be how it is. Look at the spirituality. The spiritual reality is that you are the living for your pride or God's. Look at verse 28. A person is not a Jew who is only one outwardly, right? Nor circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and a circumcision is a circumcision of the heart by the Spirit. It's supernatural. What I once was when the Lord found me, I am no longer because he's made me a new creation. Not no point did I earn any of that. In fact, I love when I watch, because Jackie and I watch a bunch of documentaries, and one of my favorite documentaries is one was like when a prison documentary comes up, I'm like, oh yes, this is going to be so intense. And there are always people like, what happened to you? And I'm like, oh, I found Jesus in prison. And I always like, when they say that line, it always kind of irks me a little bit. I'm like, you have no idea what you're saying. Although they don't. I'm not really picking on the person. But I'm like, it's not you that found Jesus. It's Christ Jesus was always there pulling on your heartstrings and you just finally paid attention. It's all about a personal relationship. Nothing about Christianity is going to be what church you went to. The gates of heaven open up. Excuse me, can I see your Calvary Chapter card? No? Please go to the side room. We'll talk to you later. It's kind of like, you know, the airport. Can we see you in the other room? No. Is that going to be the case? No. And it doesn't matter what house you've been around. So we have teenagers that are in the room today. doesn't matter what house you were born in. Jojo, my son, and Charlie, they're not going to go to heaven because they were born in the house of a Christian. They're going to go to heaven because they had a ferocious appetite for the love of Jesus Christ. Now, my wife and I will be the invitation to that love, but we can never live that for them, can we? Nothing is going to be above a personal relationship with, with Christ. And you have to say this, have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? And is your faith on the level that God would actually praise it? 
That's the challenge, isn't it? Now you can say, I'm not sure, or maybe you're just so humble, or maybe you're just like, I, I don't really know how to gauge myself or, or, or I know how to give myself a report card, but I just want to encourage you this way. You know when the Lord would say yes, and you know when the Lord would say no. You know that for a fact. You can bring it, and if you don't, come see us and we'll help you. But all of the information that you need is in prayer and in the word of God. God doesn't make any bones about it. Every yes and every no that you need is covered in here. And that's why I'm going to bring it back to the verse that one of the verses we started for. This is, think about this word. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. That's how we close that book of Romans. Look at the verse on the screen. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. You know how you can unpack that word right there? Be close to God. Find out how much he loves you in spite of yourself. Lay down all of your disobedience. He already knows. You can't like shock God. You can't come to God and go like, you wait till you hear the latest. You might change your mind. There might be a new verse in the Bible just for me. No, you cannot stand before the Lord and show him your Bible. You can't show him before the Lord and show him all your notes. You can't show him anything other than this. Here's my heart, God. I'm a sinner, and I know you died for me. You did that for me. And now I've received your forgiveness and I've received your mercy. You did that for me. You gave it to me, and it's only a great gift for if I open it. Otherwise, it sits behind all the other junk mail that everybody else has sent me in my life. But it's a great gift once I open it. And once I've opened and received it, guess what? I now realize through your forgiveness and through your mercy, I've been saved. And now that I know that I am saved and I am yours, guess what flows from me? A new life, a new creation, a new hope. Everything that is good in me comes from you. And by that righteousness, I will live by faith. I will live by this faith. You have never given up on me and you won't start now. Romans would continue to say this or Paul would say this. I love how he says this. He's talking to everybody just in case any of the Jews still haven't had their cage rattled. By the way, chapter one, he says them. Look at those people, right? Isn't that great? Look at them. Everybody was like, yay. Chapter two is like, look at you. And it was like, boo. <laughs> and then chapter three, he goes, now look at us. He doesn't even let himself escape. Chapter, Romans chapter three, verses nine through 12, it's up on the screen, says this. What shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. This is, this is the Paul that knew the Bible. You understand that? He knew the Bible. He knew it inside and out. He called himself the, the Jew of all Jews, the rabbi of all rabbis. He said, not at all. I don't have any advantage. I'm no better than you. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles are alike under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have, become, they have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. I told you every party had a pooper. And it's Paul in this particular case. But I want to let you know something, what he's tapping into, and I want you to feel this is important. We should never walk around feeling anything for any other person other than maybe our heart breaking for the sin that they're still caught in that we used to be caught in. 
We should not walk around feeling any moral superiority over anybody and any particular lifestyle or any particular choice if they don't have God and we do because they're living in darkness and we're seen by the light. And we can never be guiders of the light, as he said. You can never be the guide of light to the world unless you can see. But if you are living in sin, if you're in church and you're pretending to be a Christian, if you're wearing the badge, if you think you have diplomatic immunity because you've always just gone to church and you've never actually confronted the darkness of the sin that's in your heart, you cannot stand in front of anybody in judgment and say this, I am better than you. You've missed the entire purpose of not only the cross, but the entire Bible. The Lord himself stooped down from heaven, got on his hands and knees, put on an apron, and started walking through this church washing feet because he loved you, because you needed it, because you couldn't get to heaven without it. And the reason why he does it is to show you that you're going to have to get down on your hands and knees once you realize how good that forgiveness and that mercy is, and you're going to have to start washing feet. And guess what? You don't get to choose the feet. It's kind of gross if you don't like feet, but it's true. So I don't like to leave the service on a bummer like that, so I'm just going to kind of turn it up for us and leave it on this. I want to let you know that the Lord has never given up on you, and we are here to receive the cure. I want you to see how faithful that cure is from Jesus Christ and how easy it is. 1 John 1, nine. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. There's not an unrighteousness that's there that he won't stop. Ooh, not that sin. Nope. No bias no setup, no condition. Just come and lay your feet, lay, lay your heart at the feet of Jesus Christ and say, please do what only you can do, save me. So I put this little note as a prayer for us. If you look at the thing at the bottom there, the little note, it says, I am not superior over anyone. I am superior in my need for Christ. And Christ is my supreme salvation and my treasure. As ambassadors of Christ, This is how we make our appeal to the world that God is good. I was left dead in my trespasses. And the good shepherd left the fold to come save me, pour his life into my death, pour his light into my darkness so that I could be back in the fold. And he did it not for any qualification that I had. He did it for pure love. He chose you. There's nothing great about you. He selected you which also means this. You can't claim any superiority except for the love of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I love you and I thank you that sometimes that the medicine that we take is tough, but we need it. I'm glad that you speak the truth, Lord. I'm glad that you don't sugarcoat it. I'm glad that you come into our life and tell us exactly how it is. But Lord, just like you said in John chapter three, you did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. Lord, I just pray right now that if anybody here has been running from you because of sin, let them run no more. Let them find rest in you. Let them find salvation. If anybody's been confused about what God thinks about them or feels about them, let them just kneel at the feet of Jesus and find out that you're the kind of God that would die on the cross for them. Lord, if anybody here right now has been struggling with issues of pride, let them lay it down. 
and let them humbly just lay at the feet of Jesus Christ and say, it's not my way, but it's your way. I was never good enough, but you were, and you still chose me. We love you, Lord. We receive your love. We receive your mercy. We receive your forgiveness today. It's all you. And we thank you. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Thank you.